Amanda and Baron, and we are back again. A huge shout out to our second sponsor for this second half is Marianne McNally. She is a residential real estate specialist with Next Home Realty Connection. Uh, so if you're looking to buy a home, sell a home, just have questions, not sure which direction to go, definitely reach out and give her a call. Her phone number is 503 409 4389 and then continue to keep her in your prayers as she's currently battling her own battle with breast cancer. So for the listeners that are just tuning in, that was a riveting story. Yes. And you know what is what I made this comment during the first half, Dave's almost 70 mm-hmm. and he was 19. But yeah. he's telling this like it happened yesterday. Yes. Um, which as as vivid as that is, I can see why that just burns into your brain. Yeah, you how know? could it not? Um, I want to throw a couple of interesting statistics out, Dave, that you mentioned in your what you did for work. Because uh, you worked, you, a lot of your career was with disabled veterans, right? That's right. So the, there's, a, there's a law out there. It's, it's a vet law, 100% disability coverage after cancer diagnosis and during treatment, mm-hmm. which I imagine that's a lot of what you were right. fighting for. Right. Those and... and, and uh, I availed myself of that law because I not only did they take care of me medically, but they also paid for my my last two master's degrees. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, what I did find intriguing was, and, and I want to ask you the question of Agent Orange when we come back in a second, but the, the Department of VA says that 14.4% of vets get diagnosed with cancer where only 10% of non-vets. So more vets are getting diagnosed oh. with cancer than that are not vets. Right. Um, annually, the Veterans Association says that 50,000 vets are being diagnosed with cancer each wow. year. that's a lot. 50,000. So if we look at that big number, Yeah. 50,000 of those are vets. The most frequent cancer currently is prostate cancer. 30, 30% of vets are getting prostate cancer. Um, the other number that I thought was quite intriguing, they did this, this huge study. There was 24 million people in this big, huge study they did, and all the people were vets in that study, and they were determining how many of them passed away from cancer. And, and the farthest I could get was 2003. There were almost 13,000 vets that year, and then 2008 was almost 16,000. 2013 was 19,000. 2018 was 24,000. Oh, wow. Collectively, during the course of that study, 328,711 vets passed away from cancer. Wow. And a lot of evidence is coming out that we used a lot of chemical warfare mm-hmm. during. We've used chemical warfare in, in lots of wars, but. We, did, we developed this thing called Agent Orange mm-hmm. to use during Vietnam. Dave, what exactly is Agent Orange? Agent you know? Orange is a culmination of a program that was used to defoliate um, sectors of Vietnam. Agent Orange was the last. You had, before Agent Orange, you had an Agent White and an Agent Purple and then finally an Agent Orange. So was it a chemical? It was a chemical, Did and it sp- was sprayed by by EC. By, it was sprayed by DC threes aircraft over heavily foliated parts of Vietnam. The intent was to defoliate it and allow us to be able to uh, uh, reconnaissance use better reconnaissance of of enemy troop movements. So. To make sure I'm understanding you correctly, this chemical was designed to actually kill the plants. Yes. When you say defoliate, 
So we're spraying a chemical on a very jungleous area to kill the plants so that we can actually go in and find people. Right, so the, and to protect ourselves because the, the you know the the enemy were were the indigenous people, and they knew the area, they knew the places to hide, and we were at a disadvantage as long as the the, the jungle was there. So we did everything we could to, to get remove rid of the that. Yeah, there's a massive lawsuit right now against Monsanto, and we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. So Monsanto created a chemical that you could spray on grass to kill the grass and a lot of people would do those stand-up pools in their backyard but they want the grass around the outside of the pool so they'd put this killer this weed killer around the outside of the pool well that weed killer got into the pools and created blood cancer Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of little kids who were playing these pools and now those kids have blood cancer as older so we in an effort to kill plants whether it be Monsanto or whether it be Agent Orange, that chemical that we're using is creating cancers. And that's, would you, would you say, because when I met you, um, you got diagnosed with cancer. Would you say the Agent Orange was a contributing factor to that? Well, they know that, that, that my cancer is Agent Orange. My, uh, I've had extensive medical problems since Vietnam, and they have all been officially designated Agent Orange related. Wow. Um, the interesting thing that, has come out since last time. I, I don't know if it was if I told you that or not. Veterans who are uh, afflicted with uh, uh, Agent Orange, they have determined that Agent Orange has migrated into the DNA. So not only can Agent Orange be uh, uh, diagnosed in people that are actually in Vietnam, but, but they're children. finding that children and even oh, grandchildren. Wow have Agent Orange-related illnesses. That's crazy. It goes so, into your DNA. And, so, the, and the DA, it is, is sufficient enough that the DA will cover children, and they'll cover to the third line of singuity or the third bloodline wow. with it, if they come up with anything that is Agent Orange-related. So this is a pretty powerful, potent oh, yes. uh, chemical then. Yes. Wow. So you're, you're 20 years old, 21 years old when you're in Vietnam. Right. And they were using this Agent Orange to kill the plants. Well, whenever I got there, they they discontinued the Agent Orange. Unfortunately, the the aircraft I used that that I flew on was the same very same aircraft that they used to spray the Agent Orange with. So the entire aircraft had been had covered been in covered in it. Mm-hmm. So even though they weren't spraying it, you were still exposed to it. Right. They converted it from being a, 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 a cargo plane to electronic countermeasures. And so I flew on it. Our our missions were thirteen hour missions. Wow! I so you flew, were on it. For I a flew one hundred and thirty six thirteen hour missions. So I'm going to encourage the listeners, just because wow. of sake of time, to go to our website, kicking-cancer.org. There's a spot that says stories. So click on stories. There's a little search engine. Just type Dave, and you're going to find about a. Well, this is a almost a two-page document, but mm-hmm. Dave wrote his story out, and, you know, there's so much of what you went through in Vietnam that I think people would enjoy oh, reading. Oh, definitely. You know? Yeah. Um, what's the one... <clears throat> so, if I'm, if I'm correct, your job was to go find POW camps, is that correct? Towards the end of the war, we were tasked with finding, with not so much finding the POW camps, but finding the POWs that were being moved by the by the the enemy up the Ho Chi Minh Trail. 
virtually all POWs were moved up the Ho Chi Minh Trail into China, and eventually would we found that a lot of them ended up in Russia. Oh wow, wow! It's part of the history I didn't know. What's POW? Is that a person of prisoner of war? Prisoner of war. Okay. And yeah. we would we would track them by because the you know, it's like with any military unit that you have to if you're moving you have to report where you're at. So mm-hmm. we would track them by the the transmissions of, uh, and also we would track them because we had there were units that were assigned to go in specifically and, and try to raid and and recoup are the casualties of the POWs, and that did happen. So the one part of your story I would love for you to kind of recap, um, because, again, if if listeners go to our website, your whole story is here, and you were shot down several times when you were in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. But the third time you were shot down um, is a quite intriguing story, and it's just a very short paragraph in here. But could you kind of walk us through that last? Because that last time you were shot down, you were knocked unconscious. And that's when you were actually ultimately released is after that last shoot-down. So right. what, what happened during that last shoot-down? We fly- I was flying in an area called Ten Charlie in Laos. And we were tasked, it was after the, the ceasefire, we were tasked with, with uh, monitoring the movement of, of five POWs that they, that they were moving up the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And we'd been given a standoff range of, of five miles because they knew there was anti-aircraft in the area. But they were planning a raid to, to recoup these guys, and so I wanted to get as close an, uh, 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 a, tar- a target as I could, an area. So I violated the, the five mile, and I went to in to three miles of the tra- of where the actual transmitter was in order to get a better um, determination of the exact area where they were at. And we were uh, shot down by uh, SA-7, which is a, so- a shoulder-mounted uh, missile. Now, the kind of aircraft I flew on, everything was very, very, was highly classified. I mean, the, our unit motto was alone, unarmed, and unafraid, and, and the truth of the matter was is that we were unarmed except for our 45s. Our planes were sanitized, which meant they didn't have Air Force markings on them. They were just painted black. And uh, so anyway, I rode the plane down because I was mission commander, and we had a destruction checklist that we had to destroy things to make sure they didn't get into any enemy hands. And so I was tasked with with making sure the destruction list went down. So I had to designate two other guys to stay with me and carry out destruction of their positions. So we all rode rode down the plane, and all I remember is seeing the top of the trees, and then I don't remember anything. uh, that now, was in, in your story that you wrote for me. Sorry to interrupt you the other day, but in the story you wrote for me, you said that the um, the plane went in, so that the shoulder-mounted rocket took off a wing, and the plane went into a tailspin, and that's when you were thrown against the fuselage. Right, that's true. Uh, it, it took off. The, it actually, it hit engine number one, which is the uh, the engine on the right side of the, the airplane. It. And wherever that went, the, the airplane, their fuel tanks are actually inside the wings. So whenever it hit the the 
the engine because the, the SA-7s are heat-seeking. It hit, hit the engine, and, of course, it hit that, and it exploded, and the wing came off, sent us into a tailspin. There's no control. So we went into a tailspin. And, yes, I was flung against the fuselage, but you grab a hold of whatever you can can because you want to destroy what's what's being destroyed, what needs to be destroyed. So you, we, our, our paper was on that we copied whenever we did our intercepts was on water-soluble paper. And so you grab a hold of that, and you're dumping cans of water that we carried with us on top of that so that it's dissolved so nobody can read it. Read it. At the same time, you're trying to ex- take the, the tape and throw it out the door so that, that in pieces so that they can't make any uh, uh, identification of that. And then our, our main thing we had, which was a, a special machine, that had a magnesium switch on it, and if you could hit that, that magnesium then would ignite, and it would burn at, I don't know how many degrees, but anyway, it burned enough to melt the entire thing, and it dropped from layer to layer down and just would destroy everything. Wow. So after they take the wing off the plane, and you're in a tailspin, you still have enough I... sense <laughs> to start putting water on paper that will dissolve to try to save the mission. And getting rid of tapes. I don't know if it's sense. It's just something that, that you... It's just habit. You, it's just, just habit. Just, you knew you had to destroy it. It was that's, your mission. That was, I want, that's pretty impressive that... That's dedication. In, in, the in the middle of all that, that you're still yeah. doing that. Yeah. And, and, then, and you went unconscious for how long? Well, I, that was on October 6th, and they tell me that it was a Royal Asian uh, Army Patrol that, that found us, and I was the sole survivor, and I woke up January 21st in Yokota, Japan. Wow. October, November, December, January. Wow. And whenever I woke up, there's a story of that, and that, whenever I woke up, I thought they used to call in, in Vietnam. They called Caucasian woman round eyes. Everybody did this. So round <laughs> eye was a Caucasian woman, and so this round eye came in, in the nurse's uniform and was talking to me. And I thought I had been caught because last thing I knew is I was in Laos. Yeah, they're shooting you down. And so I wouldn't talk to her. Oh no. And so she was asking questions, and I wouldn't talk to her. You're like, oh, no, no, round eye. Serial number, that's it. <laughs> and so then she brought in another nurse, another round eye, and she talked to me, and I wouldn't talk to her. And then this guy <laughs> came in, which turned out to be a doctor, and I wouldn't talk to him. <laughs> they finally had to roll, take, my, take me, put me in a, in a bed and roll me downstairs out into the courtyard so I could see the American flag flying before I would talk to him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So well, that's, your, that's your, just your an training, aside story. Your training paid off to protect yes, yourself. Yes, it did. Even when you were safe. Yeah. Even when yeah. you were safe. So. Well, the part I do really want to make sure that we read here is, you said at the end of your service in Southeast Asia, you were one of 13 survivors out of 128 that went over. That's true. And there were 26 planes when you left, and only four planes came back. There were four planes, but of the floor, only... Two of them were actually flyable. The other, the others were were had battle damage to them. Oh wow! And you said everybody else was dead or missing. Yes. But you. Not dead. Well, thirteen. Oh, of us. the thirteen. Yes. Okay. One, one of thirteen. My apologies. One yes. Of 13. As if that battle wasn't enough. Right. <laughs> I met you um, July, roughly July 2018, and it was about October 2018 that you started another battle, didn't you? Yeah, I, I st- was diagnosed with t- uh, testicular cancer. And so um, my doctor says, you need to take care of that. And I kept saying, oh, it's okay, doc. Well, 
I was not real thrilled with being castrated in my mind is the way I was thinking. And eventually he talked me into it. He said, you're not going to be castrated. He said, I promise you, you're not, that's not going to be, that's not going to happen to you. So I said, okay, but if it does, then I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and I meant it. <laughs> and I know how. <laughs> so anyway, I was not castrated, but they did remove a testicle, and they told me that, Everything should be okay, and 90, 90 plus percent of the time, once we, we catch it, nothing happens. Well, I was one of the other percent. Next thing I know, whenever I went back uh, after 30 days for a checkup, they told me that there were um, spots on, on my uh, bladder and that my prostate was having problems. So then they did something called the TERPS. It's a surgical thing that they use that that go, that they clean out the urethra tube and make the prostrate work um, somewhat better. Anyway, I had five of those, and finally said they couldn't do any more of those. So then I had spots on my bladder, and they said that that was really con- difficult because they couldn't use radiation on me, and I only had one kidney because I had lost a kidney and part of my spine and my gallbladder and damaged my pancreas in the, whenever I shot down. So they ended up having to do, they asked for permission from the F- FDA because there was a, a, a treatment that they were using that was successful with lung cancer, and that was the to introduction of radioactive platinum and uh, to fight cancer. And so they wanted, they got permission to try that on me and they did that with me, and at one time, they, I, my cancer had progressed to the point where I was at stage four, and that was in November, and they told me I probably would not make it till March. Well, this is where I come into the story, right? because uh, I remember when you first started going to greeters, healthy looking, showing up, and then I think I remember we were at the Northern Lights, and you're, you're very white. Um, I mean, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but you look like the Grim Reaper when I saw you. You definitely look, didn't look like you were doing well. And uh, I turned to Dr. Isaacson, who was on our board of directors, and I said, we need to find a way to help Dave. Um, and I actually found one I used to bring specifically for you. So we put together a thing called Dinner for Dave. Oh, yeah, okay. And uh, Jersey that. Mike's. Um, it says here... Uh, we invite you to we invite you to come serve one of those who served you. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yep. Um, Dave Wentz, a volunteer with the well, I thought you were a volunteer, but disabled veterans battling stage four metastatic bladder cancer. It is simple. On Friday, April twelfth, two thousand nineteen, from four to ten at any of the locations in town, and they donated thirty percent of the. That's t- awesome. So every single Jersey mice came together. That's for you, sir. Yeah, thank you. Um, and they did a red, white, and blue theme. Yep, I remember to, that. You know, uh, Jersey Mike's red, white, and blue. It kind of follows the with the patriotic, patriotic theme. Yeah. But I also remember that you had told me um, because of the treatment that they were giving you to about April, March, or right. April. Um, by the time we got this all done, and you know, all the checks came in, I gave Dave a check, but it was June when I gave him the check, and I said he had already beaten the odds at that point. And then I kind of lost touch with you for quite a while. Right. 
and then we run into each other at the Kaiser R- Safeway right. recently. <laughs> um, but you told me some really exciting news about your cancer. Uh, yeah, I, had, uh, I was in, in complete remission. Uh, the treatment worked. Um, they, the VA had, had been approved to try it on 23 patients with the same kind of cancer that I had. And all 23 were in remission. Over half were in full remission. Wow. So it shows, you know, you just don't give up. You just mm-hmm. keep fighting and, you know, eventually good's going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I was excited. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago. We were at Greeters. Right. And we were at the Deepwood Estates. And uh, it was the Friday of Cancer Awareness Weekend. And, and it was the first time I'd seen you at Greeters in quite right. a while. Right. So I said, hey, Dave, do you want to throw the first pitch out at a baseball game? And you did. You threw right. the first pitch out that Saturday the next day. Right. You couldn't throw it very far because, you know, uh, you know uh, my cancer had been turned to be Agent Orange related. And now uh, I've been diagnosed with a very rare form of Parkinson's, and unfortunately that has uh, weakened me somewhat. But yeah. I'm back, and I'm um, starting back with the with hoping to start back with the vets. I'm still a certified veteran service officer. Yeah. There, there you are throwing the yeah. pitch out. Not the listeners can see Is that. Is there <laughs> a treatment for what you have? No, the Parkinson's that I have, I it, there is it, only affected. Uh, one in every 100,000 people wow. and carry it, and there is no cure. Um, the progression is uh, just very, very weak, uh, uh, loss of sight, uh, loss of ability to swallow, pre-dementia, dementia, and uh, Alzheimer's, and usually death by pneumonia, and that's the usual way. Well, given the fact that you have walked us through uh, 19 years old, right. you beat and the odds training, on everything, <laughs> oh, yeah. and shot down three times, and even as the plane's going down, you had the wits about yourself mm-hmm. to still do your mission, and then everything you did for this community when it came to you know whether whatever social work it was you were doing, um, and then to battle through what they said was going to last three months. Yeah, I don't think this Parkinson's is going to take you down. Yet. Oh, I don't yeah. intend for it to. No, <laughs> no way, they, Jose. They, they said three to five years, and I'm already at three years, and I'm I'm up and going. Well, I'm going to circle back to what Dr. Eisen said. Okay, that he's, he's a badass. Yeah, he's a badass. Oh yeah, I'll give him that. <laughs> you get that badge, you wear yeah. it proud. Yeah. Well, I don't think I did anything more than anybody else did, you know. And, and you know, I do need to say th- this: every time somebody, I, because I, I'm always wearing my my Vietnam veterans hat, and every time somebody sees me and says thank you, it stops me. People do not realize how much that means to a Vietnam era veteran, because whenever we came back, it was much, much different. We were a pariah. In the United States, and the, the media we, didn't do you any favors at all. No, and whenever we get that, and I've talked to other vets, and they're they're, they're the same uh, mill. Is that anytime you hear that, it just kind of throws you back, and it makes you feel good because it's something that we never had. And that's a shame because you guys are true heroes. Well, the war, you know, no matter how you feel about the war, you know, there was a draft. A lot of guys went there, didn't have an opportunity, didn't have the choice. Right. So, you know. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that you've got guys your age back then, 19 years old, and 
they didn't have a choice, and they're fighting a war because that's their job. That's what they're told to do. And political powers way higher than them are making decisions out of the control. And then you get back to the United States, and you're being spit on for stupid reasons for things that were totally out of your control. Yeah. Well, I in in our in our last short time, I will thank you for your yeah, service. Yeah, same. Thank you very much. You're you're a true hero in my eyes. No, yeah. I appreciate that. But like I said, I'm I'm not the only one, and and. For everybody that listens, you, you see a, a veteran, they get, they've given more than you could possibly know. Mm-hmm. You need to, to treat them. them with dignity. Yeah. I agree. It, it, I, I just think that there's, at some point you just realize that you're one of, th- you're one of 13 out of 128, and you're not alone. There's lots of groups that went out there, and you're like, I'm the one that survived, which means an awful lot. So Yeah. We're just thrilled you came in and talked to us. Yeah, thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories. I wish we had more hours to go so I could continue (laughs) to listen. So thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. All right. Huge shout out to our sponsor for this second half, which is Marianne McNally, who is a residential real estate specialist with Next Home Realty Connection. You can give her a call at 503-409-4389 if you have any questions about buying a home or selling a home. And please continue to keep her in your prayers as she's going through her own battle with breast cancer. We will be back next week as as the the movement movement continues. continues.